Hello and welcome to another edition of the Moving Iron Podcast. This podcast is proudly provided by Axon, helping dealers move more iron for almost 100 years. Find out more at axontire.com. Axon was started almost 100 years ago out of a passion for keeping agriculture moving. It's that same passion that drives them today. With a vision for a better experience for both farmer and dealer, they set out to create a better way to move more iron. When you partner with Axon, you get immediate access to a full range of products and solutions designed to meet the complex needs of today's grower. Axon carries all major brands and sizes of tires, wheels, and tracks. From custom colors and sizes to fully customized wheels, you can have the solution for virtually any problem today's farmer is trying to solve. To find more or become an Axon dealer, please visit axontire.com. This podcast is also brought to you by Valley Transportation. Valley has over 33 years in the trucking business, moving ag and construction equipment across the country. For more information, go to valleytransinc.com or give Parker a call at 800-657-4910. At Valley Transportation, our goal is to help you reach yours. Moving higher in the 21st century. Hardworking people working hard for you and me. Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast. Marcus with Sean Hackett. This edition of the Moving Iron Podcast is brought to you by Axon Tire, helping dealers move more iron for the past 100 years. For more information, head over to axontire.com. If you're looking for a solution to help your salespeople sell more stuff and close big deals, check out the great products at AeroCRM with HeyArrow.com. Also, Valley Transportation has 33 years of hauling ag and construction equipment across the country. Valley Transportation, our goal is helping you to reach yours. Sean Hackett is with Hackett Financial out of Boca Raton, Florida, and Sean's nice enough to come on a couple times a week to talk about what's going on in the marketplace. And Sean, there's, I think before we get too far down this path here, you probably ought to acknowledge what's going on in uh, in the south there, and especially in uh, in Kentucky with the tornadoes. And, and that, that, was a, that was a freak thing. came out of nowhere. Um, Nobody had predicted that it was going to be anything of that magnitude. They're looking for some rough winds and, and those kind of things. And, and the rough wind they got was an F5 tornado that stayed on the ground for 250 days. And, and there's uh, several people that have, have lost their lives, and there's still a lot of people missing. So thoughts and prayers go out to the folks out there in Kentucky right now. And, and this is going to be a difficult time, especially with this being the Christmas season. So, Sean, uh, um, I guess we've talked a lot about weather volatility um, here on this podcast over the last, you know, since you've been on here, and and this is this is a lot of the same stuff that you've been talking about, and the atmosphere getting all stirred up, and, and what that looks like. So, I guess you know, kind of what's your thoughts on on what you see right now with the weather? And I know you've put out about two or three podcasts here in the last month alone, just on that topic alone. So, I guess you take a look at the weather situation that we see right now heading into, um, you know, this this winter season that we've talked about. Uh, what's your thoughts? Well, you know, remember, uh, Casey, what causes this weather volatility is the, is the amplitude, this undulating jet stream. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you look at some of the measures of that, the Arctic Oscillation, if, it's neg- if it goes negative, it's showing an undulating. It's now negative. The NAO, the North Atlantic Oscillation, when it goes negative, it's showing undulation. It's now negative. The EPO, which is the Eastern Pacific Oscillation, when it goes negative, it's showing an undulating. It's now negative. So all these things are telling you that our jet stream is getting very amplified. And when you get amplified jet stream and you have cold and warm that come together and clash, mm-hmm. you have the 
ingredients for surprising out of nowhere uh, order of magnitude greater than normal weather volatility events like this unfortunate hurricane situation, uh, uh, tornado situation was. And, and we don't, we think we're going to have a lot of this kind of thing. Doesn't mean necessarily another F5, but I mean, a lot more of these really freakish kind of storms that come out of nowhere that amplify, that blow up, that create hurricane force kind of winds that only within 24 hours do the models really start to figure out what's happening. And, and that's really something I really want to bring home is the models are not structured to forecast this. They, they really can't forecast this scenario. It just happens out of nowhere. And so, you know, if you're trying to look at, you know, the seven day and 14 day four, you're not going to, you're not going to get these forecasts in advance. You have to be very mindful of the micro forecasting in your area to when these things all of a sudden start to blow up and, and, and amplify. But bear in mind, we think this is going to be an ongoing theme all the way into the spring, Casey. And there's going to be a lot more surprises to come in terms of weather volatility, like this kind of a situation with storms that's going to create a lot of problems and a lot of issues, both for infrastructure, for unfortunately people's lives, and um, and obviously it can impact um, uh, you know production of energy and that sort of thing. So it's 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 something that we've been anticipating we would see, and and um, and really here's the first. I would say I would say the northwestern storms were the first indication of crazy, like we haven't seen those kind of north. I mean. Arguably, we haven't ever seen anything quite like that in the Northwest. We had those kinds of massive storms and massive flooding mm -hmm. out, of, you know, out of nowhere, and now we're getting these tornadoes. So, so it's going to get more busy. It's going to get more active, and we're going to get more of these kinds of things. And so the, the, the word that we're trying to convey is expect the unexpected this winter because you're going to get it. Yeah. So. yeah, and it's shaping up that way. I mean, it's not untypical for, uh, you know, out here in the, in the Panhandle, Nebraska, East, you know, uh, eastern wyoming and and eastern colorado to have you know windy days and and the days like for example this week i think we have some days that are predictable we're supposed to have uh, i think starting today and tomorrow you know we're, we're 50 60 and even 70 mile an hour winds then those are no storms related with those that's just wind you know and it's going to be uh those kind of things are, are very disruptive to what's going on because it's man it's all kinds of stuff you know you got you know, power outages and those kind of things that come along with all that stuff and and uh nothing compared to what happened in Kentucky, but it's it's just again like you've talked about it's just abnormally strong you know either it's either it's very very nothing nothing at all is happening or it's an, it's extreme one way or the other and and and, it's, and, it's and crazy yeah and let me uh, uh highlight though that we have some of the coldest air uh in canada in alaska that, that we've ever seen like it's just crazy crazy cold like yep. the colors are deep purple you know right. they don't even have a they don't have a color code for it okay right. um and it's sitting there and you know we've been talking about you know getting the um the atmosphere linked up with this cold air that we've been seeing in europe i mean europe has been in the freeze box their heating degree days are setting records and they're continuing to have that but i just want to emphasize that we have this extremely incredibly cold air source that's available at any moment to come dive down with the right conditions. And, and it can happen literally out of nowhere within 24 hours. You could just, yeah. and it, and you could see that. So we believe that is going to happen. Um, predicting, you know, the, like I said, predicting this minor micro kind of thing is very difficult and we're not equipped 
to be able to predict those micro things. Our cycles are a little more intermittent, longer term, but the ingredients like this tornado, like the Northwest storms, and the cold air availability up there, Casey, is such that all you need is to turn, just to switch just a little bit, and, and overnight you're going to have this crazy situation with cold meeting warm, meeting some crazy storms that could develop yeah. out of nowhere. So, so be on the, especially in the center of the country, we'd be very concerned about it, Casey. That's where, you know, that's where the, the battle we think is going to be fought a good portion of, you know, of the wintertime here. Yep. So, all right. So, on that topic, let's talk about orange juice a little bit, just because of where you're at in Florida. I mean, as you take a look, what's going on there, and I'm I'm not 100 percent for sure when the growing season for orange juice and those kind of things are, but you know, even though it's winter time and some of these trees are kind of laying off a little bit of, of production and they kind of go into somewhat quasi dormancy of sorts, um, it's still Florida, right? And it's still you know 75 degrees on a on a cold day in Florida, so. You know, if you if you look at all that stuff going on, you get these things kind of kind of going crazy like that. What does that look like for those kind of crops, especially in the southeast, you know, or the southwest, and those kind of areas where they have a lot of those kind of productions, vegetable production, those kind of things? What's it look for those kind of crops as you look out for this year? Well, South Florida, Central Florida, we're we're, we're blessed that we have this subtropical uh, air mass that yes, spins, you are. and 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 and. and, and <laughs> <laughs> and it and it and it just block it, it tends to just block all this stuff. It comes down mm-hmm. and it goes away and it comes down and goes away. I mean that's that's why you know Florida is what it is. Mm-hmm. Um so the question uh you can have a blisteringly cold winter, but you won't get a breakdown of that subtropical flow. Mm-hmm. So the key, the key is can we get one of these undulations that we've just talked about? but more of an eastern-based undulation, meaning one that's focused on pushing in the southeast instead of pushing in the center. Um, and if we do, you know, that's how you get yourself a frost, yep. um, a very, very cold air mass that gets just has to get to – it essentially has to get to south of Orlando, and you'll, and you'll do what you need to do. And the last time we really had that was – trying to remember, I think it was 2010, 2011 winter, I believe was the last time that we had – one of that one of those take place where we had this big arctic push mm-hmm. um that 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 temporarily displaced this subtropical zone um we think the odds are more favorable for that to happen this year because of the undulating gesture because this cold air mass is so cold that even if you didn't get a full push through even if it was a partial push through it's so cold that would do it because yeah. it's 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 just it's crazy cold it's record cold in fact the arctic um Air right now, I think, is 15 degrees below normal and some of the coldest on record right now. In the in, so the air mass is just crazy cold this year. So, um, you know, the, the the traditional time for frost in Florida is typically back half of December into the first part of February. That's what's considered your frost season. That's where the fruit is developing um, and it's susceptible for frost damage, fruit drop, all that sort of thing. And so. We're almost into the ideal window, kind of like Brazil. Right. You know, the ideal window is late June to early August when we would be looking for, can we get a setup of one of these? And remember, it has to be four hours, 28 degrees. It's all over. Right. That's, that's, that, that's, <clears throat> that, that's the metrics for, for citrus. Four hours of 28 degrees, it's all over. Um, tw- 30 degrees, four hours if you have uh, the correct wind flow. So... Um, 
so we think that the odds are favorable that uh, are high, much much higher this year for the potential for that to happen than in a normal year where we have very 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 minimal chance of that happening this year much much higher it doesn't mean it will happen but we would certainly be thinking that if we're going to get one of these this is the year for it to happen so right on all right so speaking of weather and and the stuff we see happen there you take a look at what's going on in brazil brazil last week was yep we're gonna we're gonna raise our expectations of what's going on and this week they're lowering their expectations of what's going on based on drought conditions in uh, sao paulo uh regions of uh, brazil and they're we're talking about dryness what you've talked about on here yeah i think you're the first guy to talk about dry conditions here and that was almost a month ago so i guess as you look what's going on down there thoughts and reactions to that well, remember we still have a sudden stratospheric warming it has not ended yet right over Antarctica, it's still it's, it's starting to finally weaken, but it's still in force. And um, what what that tends to do, so if you look at um, Brazil and you go right through central Brazil, draw a line, south that line, it intensifies dryness, um, and into Argentina and just into uh, um, you know the southern Brazil, central Brazil, that's where the dryness is is is, is expected to accentuate because of the sun stress for warming. Now, to the north of this line, lots and lots of rain. In fact, excessive rainfall in some areas because if, if you think what's happening, because of the sun stress for warming undulating the airflow, instead of the normal you know, rain pattern being to more to the south, it, it pushes the trade winds and the, and the monsoonal flow further to the north, and then it just sits there, and it just sits there. So, so it's, a really a, it's, a really, it's a tale of two different weather patterns north of central brazil south of central brazil right now first crop corn is primarily grown in south brazil so that's a problem for first crop corn although it's a smaller crop obviously the soybeans are grown in two different places in the south lots of problems but in the west good rainfall so but we have to be careful you know can we have too much rainfall, you know, right now. So, so, so I think when you look at all of this, and of course, Argentina is just too dry. It's just too dry. Um, now, you know, so, so, so when you when you put all this together, it does not support having record crops. That doesn't mean it's a disaster because it, you know, if the if the western soybeans are really good and it can offset each other to some extent, but it means that um, wild-eyed expectations of record yields and, and record crop production is likely overstated and I think that the USDA kind of toning itself down a little bit is making the right call um, and remember as we shift into January February and March we think some of that dryness could actually start to spread further north because the La Nina is going to weaken um, and this solar uh, sudden strife warming effect will start to uh, to go away and which will shift. So, of course, second crop corn, as you know, is planted in February, um, January and February, primarily in back of soybeans in Western Brazil. And so that would be really the key metric to look for because that really determines the total corn crop is that second crop corn. That's the crop they like to export. That's the crop that was devastated last year. Um, so all these things put together, you know, I think the market for corn at least and for soybeans, I don't. I think they're going to be unwilling to take these markets down substantially until they can confirm or deny what this production actually looks like. And from what I see, uh, they, they might be. Get, they might want need to put some weather premium up 
on these markets as we get into January. I think it's going to be pretty quiet for the end of the year. It typically is. I don't see any, you know, the market's not going to get too worried until January. But from once we get into mid-January, I think the market could start putting weather premium back into these markets and saying, you know, maybe we overplayed how good these, these crops are. Maybe we actually got to dial them down quite considerably. And I think that's what's going to happen. Yeah. So. <clears throat> yeah, it looks like that's the way they're headed. It should take you. It should look at what's going on there. So now you've got you've got all kinds of stuff going on right now. When you look at wheat and what they're doing on there, Russia and Egypt talked about um, joining forces together and making a, a trading company in, in Egypt. Which I'm not 100 percent sure what what the outcome for that would be, but um, <clears throat> you know they're working diligently on that and looking at logistics free zones and those kind of things to make those things happen. So this looks like Russia's trying to find a different. A, a, better place i guess i don't know if that's the right word to to get their crops to export out of i mean i guess is that is that kind of end game there sean is that what you're seeing there well you know that they went from being a player to being the player right and we yep. and now they have they have a, a good they have a good hand the moral is short of wheat they are a prolific producer of wheat and they're holding wheat back with export taxes and they're playing games in Ukraine because they want to get greater control over wheat. Wheat is a key, key ag market in the world, a key strategic ag market in the world, and one where they can exert great influence um, and get great concessions because you really can't do without it uh, if you don't have it. And if you and so I think they're just feeling that this is a time for them to exert their influence when they have a good hand and try to change the whole grain belt in Russia, you know, Western Russia, that, that whole area, they're just, as you said, change how things are done with greater Russian control. And does that mean they go to war? Does that mean, I don't know what it means. No, no, but, but other than there's, there's geopolitical risk right now. We've talked about it even a year mm -hmm. ago that, you know, that that was starting to develop. And of course, one of the reasons wheat has been so strong here is a worry about well, what, what, what happened, you know, if, if they decided to get into Ukraine and play games with their exports. Right. And don't forget, Ukraine's also a very important corn exporter. A lot of people don't realize how big they've become in the corn export business. Um, so there's a geopolitical issue beyond weather here that I don't know how to forecast that, Casey. You know, yeah. I just don't know how to forecast, but it's there, and it could blow up at any time and create spike trades in these markets. Uh, but, but, you know, when it's all said and done through it all, Russia still needs to sell. They still need to raise money. You know, they make money by selling oil and agriculture, uh, and then they, and they do need to ultimately do that. So all that supply will eventually come to the market. It's a timing issue. You know, is it going to be available now, or is it going to be available next summer? Whenever it becomes available, you're going to have one heck of a decline in wheat prices for a while. Yeah. Um, so it seems to me, right now, what they've decided with these export taxes are going to keep them on till June. It just looks to me like they're going to they're gonna try to keep wheat really, really tight and keep their hands on it to try to effectuate change um, and then maybe unleash a lot of this wheat over the summertime. That's what it looks like to me. And if that's the case, you know, then, wheat's, then any weather issue at all that occurs over the winter into the spring is going to be really, really hypersensitive because without their supply, we're really tight yeah. in the wheat market right now. Yeah. So. All right. So. We've talked about, you know, the, the hog markets and, and the cattle markets here, and you're looking at seasonal lows and those kind of things. But, you know, that the, the 
the box beef prices have still just been getting hammered. I don't know if that's a obviously some of that is uh, you know I was at this grocery store the other day <clears throat> and I was going to buy some steaks for something and I bought something different because the st the steaks I was going to buy were like eighteen dollars a steak. I mean it, it was just crazy right now what, what prices are. You know and fortunately we you know we have a have a beef in the freezer now so I don't have to worry about that. But those kind of things are, are starting to kind of stack up and you're starting to see where like right now you know the choice beef yesterday kind of firmed up from that slaughter we saw over the last couple of weeks but man the choice boxes are still they're still getting beat up pretty good and i mean as you look at that obviously it's an inflationary thing we've seen the, the price at the store and those kind of things and but also mixed with some seasonal lows as you look at what's going on with that particular mar segment of, of the beef market what's your thoughts there well I think you know we we we've had an issue with this record packer margin situation mm -hmm. for almost two years now. Right. The fire, the the lockdowns, right. and they just they have this massive historic margin, not just for a month or two, for years they've had it now. And you know with all this problem with inflation that's becoming uncomfortable with politicians, there's a lot of pressure on why is there's this huge margin from what they're paying for the price of the animal. To what is being sold to you when you said you went and said, "Oh my gosh, I'm not paying that." Right. It's it's too high. The the end user price is unjustified, um, and or the cattle price unjustified, and or both. Meaning, the cattle price is too low and the beef. So so I think the powers that be, you know, are saying these this this has to compress. Uh, you know, we need to get these prices back into balance with what you're paying for the animal. Um, because we're not, you know, we're not going to let you gouge like this anymore. I'm, I'm, I'm just speaking out loud. Like, I mean, I don't, mm -hmm. I am no expert on act policy and politics and what the Packers. But I mean, there's a tremendous amount of pressure every day. I see stories about, you know, how, you know, what's going on. How does, it, how can we get rid of this Packer manipulation cartel, whatever you want to call it. I've, I've, I've read all kinds of different wor words, term, uh, terminology about it, but it can't continue like that. It shouldn't continue like that, and it won't continue like that. And I think maybe. Part of the decrease in the price, the box beef price, is people like you saying, "You know what? No, uh, that's that's too much for me." And, and so the demand's falling back a little bit. And I just think it's also pressure from above on retailers and on the packers and saying, "Guys, look, we understand you need to make money. We, we understand that, but how much money you need to make here? You know, right? I mean, you look yep. at you look at you look at JBS's earnings, who was you know a big big box beef, and, right. and you look at how yeah. much money they made." Yeah. It's completely insane, unprecedented yeah. in, in history, yep. the kind of margins they've been making. And like I said, I am not at all begrudging any company for making money, doing the right thing. But I do believe there's a, there's just, just, this is just not actual true supply and demand going on here. And I do think the market's in the process of normalizing that. That way, that doesn't mean the cow price goes down. The cattle price goes down. It just means, I think, the cattle price relative to the box beef price needs to come in uh, and be in better balance. And I think that might be what's going on on the on the box beef side. Right. right on. All right, jump over, take a look at hogs. What's going on there? Hogs actually had a pretty decent day, um, you know, yesterday, but they, you know, they've been, they've had a rough couple of weeks, just like, just like the cattle market has. So I guess as you look at what's going on there, what are your thoughts? Well, remember, uh, the, the pork side is totally different. We need exports and a lot of them, and we need China exports and a lot of them, or else we're totally out of balance. Right. The cattle market doesn't really need that. Yeah, we, we exports are somewhat important. I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, if we lost some exports, that would be great. But I mean, we're still primarily a contained market for cattle. You know, we consume so much of it, and and we still import beef in that we don't of the of the grades we don't have and that sort of thing. 
But in the, in the, in the hog business, I mean, we got to sell the others because we overproduce based, based upon our own needs. And until China comes in and starts buying again like they had been, um, which we don't really see happening until maybe the mid-first quarter onward, it's going to be a supply-demand mismatch. We've talked about this on your show now for months that, you know, I, I just I don't see a, a good outlook here into the first quarter on hogs. I see any rally being short, short, uh, short-sighted, and I think, you know, we're, we're, declines are going to continue to new lows because we're, where are you going to find demand to offset a loss of that kind of demand in China? I mean, sure, Mexico can buy a lot of our pork, and they do, but they're not going to offset what we lost from China anytime soon. And from these high prices we've had for a while, you know, I know production's been a little slow and growing, but it's going to grow. I mean, yeah. there's no doubt it's going to grow at a time when we're struggling to find place for the meat for the way we already have. So I, I just don't like the outlook right now into the first quarter on hogs, and I'd continue to be a, I would continue to be a cash seller on rallies if I'm in the business right now. Yep. Yep. A lot of stuff to pay attention to, Sean. A million things going on out there. If folks want to reach out to you and get more information about what it is that you do at Hackett Financial, what's the best way to do that? Our website is Hackett, H-A-C-K-E-T-T, advisors.com, all kinds of information on there to get a better look of how we do things to see if how we do things could be a value to your listeners. And I'm sure if you guys go take a look at what's going on out there, you'll find tons of information and a good reason to give Sean a call. So, Sean, appreciate you being on the podcast, man. Thank you, Casey. Uh, love to be on the program always, and uh, and I really appreciate you doing the show. I know it's a lot of work on your part, um, but uh, but you're doing a very, very good service. You're putting good information. you got tremendously talented people on your uh, podcast, and it's growing. And so... Um, you know, you're doing a really good service, and I and I commend you for that. So. I do the easy part, Sean. You come on and make it make me look good. So. <laughs> I just push. I just push record. <laughs> right on. Well, Sean, appreciate you being on the podcast. I'm Casey Seymour with Moving Iron Podcast. Make sure you check me out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. That's where you find the latest editions of the Moving Iron Podcast. Also, go to MovingIronLLC.com. Big announcements coming up here on the Moving Iron Summit coming up here. Should have that lockdown. Uh, probably uh, today or tomorrow, and I'll be announcing when that's going to be and where it's going to be at. So uh, anybody that wants interested in doing that, man, just pay attention to what's going on, and uh, I hope to see a, a bunch of people there. Sean's been a speaker at it a couple times, and Sean, as you take a look at, at what's going on, on the, out there, kind of what's your thoughts and, and kind of where you're, some of the conversations you have while you're, while you're at that meeting. Well, what I, what I find is, is that, you know, uh, I think most people are aware of some of the things we talk about. Mm-hmm. People are really not aware about the inter- interconnectivity right. of everything. Yeah. Like they knew about this, but they didn't know about that. And they didn't. Knew, but when you bring it all together, how everything actually is connected yep. and feeds off each other, that's where the light bulb goes off. That why isn't this being talked about more? How come, you know, why are these thousands and thousands of papers have been written by PhDs, smartest people on the planet about these things, and we're not having more of a, a discussion about how these might be impacting our climate? That's what really I here repeatedly over and over again is, is that the light bulb goes off from connecting the dots, shall yep. we say. Yep. Um, and that's, and that's, and that's, you know, that's, that's very gratifying for me to, to kind of get that out there. Cause at least for those that are at your, your uh, conference, you know, in the, the ag equipment and those that are connected to farmers and that sort of thing. I mean, it's really an important concept to understand because it really will have an impact on how you market things, when you market things and your long-term plan should be based upon, something other than what we've been hearing about from the mass media. Yep. So. And and the stuff that, that Sean's talking about, you know, I've told the story a million times about 
crazy guy calling me on the phone from Florida talking about solar, you know, solar ten tendencies and you know sunspots and those kind of things, and and because uh, I never heard of anyone talk about it before, you know, what I mean, and and just like this dryness thing in 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 uh, South America that we're talking about, you know, last month Sean came on talked about that and he said, you know, it's because of this one of the three letter acronyms that you use. In over Antarctica, sudden stratospheric warming there over Antarctica. Go. That's the one I'm looking for, and that that you know no one else talked about that kind of stuff. And so those those are the kind of things that that you're getting from from Sean when he's on the podcast, and it's also that's the kind of stuff that you're getting from you know the speakers that come and talk at, at the Moving Iron Summit. So anybody interested in that, I mean, I'll pay attention for more information. And uh, you know, guys like Sean come on and make it make me make me look good. So it's a it's an easy deal. So. With that, I'm Casey Seymour, Sean Hackett. Let's go be smart, folks. Out. You want to have a meaningful, competitive advantage to help sell more equipment. Whether you represent the sales, parts, or management department of an implement dealership, there's a surprising amount of complexity when it comes to tire, wheel, and track technology. Let Axon worry about that so you can get back to supporting your customers. Axon has leveraged years of experience to create a streamlined process that gives you a proven path to help today's grower and sell more equipment. The roots of their organization go back almost 100 years to the invention of the rubber tractor tire. Supporting agriculture is the number one driver of Axon from product development through sales and service. To find more or become an Axon dealer, head over to axontire.com. This podcast is also brought to you by Valley Transportation. Valley has over 33 years in the trucking business, moving ag and construction equipment across the country. For more information, go to valleytransportation.com or give Parker a call at 800-657-4910. At Valley Transportation, our goal is to help you reach yours. Moving higher in the 21st century. Hardworking people working hard for.